Um, we're going to read from the scripture together. We're going to read from Joshua chapter 1. I was saying this morning that um, um, Alona phoned me last week. She said to me the other week, Alona said the other week, oh, Laura will give the theme um, and then I'll let you know what it is. And uh, we were on holiday in Cardigan last week for a few days and then uh, Alona phoned me and said that uh, there's no particular theme this week. Um, I'm very conscious, of course, that the, we normally celebrate Ascension because I did feel that God had been speaking to me about the message that I shall bring today. So I felt that was a real confirmation of what I should bring today, uh, which links in very much with... Uh, where you are as a church in the interregnum, in the journey between the minister that left you last year and in the appointment of a new minister. <clears throat> so I started unpacking some of this message this morning and I just want to continue and conclude with it tonight and I can't wait to hear what I've got to say. So if you know what I've got to say, then that will be great. But the Lord knows what we're going to be saying tonight. So we're reading Joshua chapter 1. I think it's um, very important to read the Word of God and to try and read it in its entirety in the context of this chapter. So it's headed in the NIV, Joshua installed as leader. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of son, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then you and all these people get ready to cross the river Jordan into the land that I am about to give to them. To the Israelites, I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you, nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous. That's some of the context of the songs that we've been singing tonight in the adversity and difficulties that people go through. Be strong and courageous, verse 6, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous, verse 7. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong. Those words again. Verse 9. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now you will cross the Jordan 
here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. But to the Reubenites, the Gadites, the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the command that Moses, a servant of the Lord, gave you after he said, The Lord your God will give you rest by giving you this land. Your wives, your children and your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan. But all your fighting men ready for battle must cross over ahead of your fellow Israelites. You are to help them until the Lord gives them rest as he has done for you. And until they too have taken possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them, after that you may go back and occupy your own land, which Moses, a servant of the Lord, gave you east of the Jordan towards the sunrise. Then they answered Joshua, Whatever you have commanded us, we will do. Whatever you, where, wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey it, whatever you may command them will be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Let's just pause just to pray for one moment. Father, we thank you for the touch of your hand. Thank you for re- Thank you for leading us to rely more on you than on our own independence. Help us to be open to what you have to say to us this evening. Help us to recognise your presence. Right now we choose to cast all of our cares and concerns onto you as we focus on you in our worship. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Just going to share just a few thoughts from the book of Joshua. Just recapping for those of you who was here this morning. Put your hands up. Oh, that's quite a lot. Put your hands down. Who's pleased that they weren't here this morning? Put your hands up. Oh, no hands gone up there. That's very good. Sharing from the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 1, and the leadership transition that takes place in these chapters, from Moses to Joshua. And just wanting to to connect these thoughts to the journey that you're on as a church. I'm suggesting that a church in the 21st century needs to be both a prophetic community that we touched on a bit this morning, and secondly, a pastoral community, First of all, needs to be a prophetic community so there's a clear vision about where the church is going. And we talked a little bit this morning about those words that you probably heard before, the dying words of a church are, we've never done it this way before. I've been in church leadership, in senior leadership for over 40 years and uh, I used to say to the congregations, four congregations, 
that I had our background was church planting and pioneering. If you don't like this change, just wait till next week. Because there'll be something else next week. Because change, our, our strap line was change is here to, to stay. A prophetic church. So Joshua chapter 1 verses 10 and 11. Joshua ordered the officers of the temple, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you. It's great to have a prophetic direction about where the church is going, what the shape of the church is going to be in the next 10 years. Not where it is now, but where it's going to be in 10 years' time. Because the decisions that you make now will be key to where the church is in 10 years' time. 10 years' time, I'll be 78 so uh, I'm not sure where I'll be in 10 years' time. Then you've, it's, it's necessary, secondly, to have a pastoral community. Galatians 6 and verse 10 says, Let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So we looked a little bit about that. About the challenge, the comfortable challenge to settle or the challenge to be a pioneer, to move out of our comfort zone. We've moved around the UK quite a lot, primarily um, to plant churches or to lead churches under the Assemblies of God umbrella, and the last one was under a joint one under Assemblies of God and Elim in the West Midlands. Breaking out of where you are settled to break through, to be pioneers. And the lives of, Mo of Moses and Joshua give us some clues and some encouragement how we can do that. And we touched on briefly this morning that when we are settled, we have giants which remind us of our past. We have chains which bind us to the present. So have you got giants in your life? Giants in the life of this church. Because I'm new to this area, I can speak with total abandon and I'm not going to rock any, anybody's boat. And if I do, that's because the boat needs to be rocked. You need to be tipped out the boat. Being tipped out the boat is good. Giants which remind us of our past the mistakes we made, the times we stepped out and things didn't work. Don't let giants rob you of the future. Then there's chains which bind us to the present and there's, there's loads of biblical illustrations that we could unpack to highlight some of these things that we don't have the time to go into this evening. But giants and chains blur our vision. I'm of the age now when for about 20 years I've had to wear glasses like many of us here this evening. When I take my glasses off, things go blurred. When I take my eyes off the one that nobody can see, I become spiritually blurred. It's great to keep God and glasses in focus. So Moses was a man of breakout. And then we talked a little bit this morning about the moaners. 
if you belong to the MM, the membership of the Moners, I suggest that you become a, uh, an ME, which is a member of the Encouragers. So we talked a little bit about this morning. I, I love this card, Martin, that um, I understand Martin designed. This, this was an encouragement card. So the person that filled this in, this was for me this morning. Alona gave me this, which was great. And I found it very encouraging. In the last 45 years in ministry, I've got two others of these. <laughs> so this now becomes a third one. I've got three now. For, uh, one every 15 years is quite good, isn't it? Yeah, I've actually got more than three. I've got four, but uh, we, won't, <laughs> we won't go there. But I think this is a brilliant idea, and I, and I think the wisdom in it as well, about if you've got something encouraging to say, say it, and if you haven't got anything encouraging to say, take the card home and think about it for the following week. I think that is brilliant, because when you bring these things to the throne of God, you do tend to change your perspective. Don't be settled and stay in Egypt and moan. And there's a lot of things contained within that, aren't there, in Exodus with Moses and, and so on. So we talked a bit about Hebrews 11 verses 24 to 27. By faith Moses persevered because he saw him who is invisible. When we see God with our spiritual eyes, the one that is invisible, then our perspective changes. The message puts it more straightforwardly. By an act of faith, he turned his heel on Egypt, indifferent to the king's blind rage. He had his eye on the one no one can see and kept right on going. So we talked a bit this morning about where are you looking? On the 2nd of June 2019, where are you looking? Where is your gaze? Where is your perspective? And you are, as a church, you are strategically placed right now in this time of interregnum to make up for some of the mistakes of the past to recover some of the years that the locusts have eaten. But don't drop the baton. We talked a bit this morning about not dropping the baton, like the athletics illustration so often over the years. And the decisions you make now in the coming months are going to shape the future of this church. And when it shapes the future of the church, that is shaping people's lives. And that is crucial under the hand of God to what God has called you to do. And I asked a question this morning, what does togetherness look like in this church? It's a great question to discuss in a congregation or in a small group. What does togetherness look like? And the opposite of that is what is the opposite of togetherness? What is the, op what is the opposite of unity? God is into unity. Often, as people, we can be into disunity. And Psalm 133 tells me, 
when, when the brethren dwell together in unity, there God commands the blessing, even life forevermore. The last church I led for 13 years in the West Midlands, we merged an AOG and an Elim church together. And the first month, September 2003, when the two congregations came, as a leadership of the two churches, we knew this would have significance in the heavenly realm. We had more people get saved in September 2003 than in the previous five years of either church. People walked past our church building that week and gave their lives to Christ. Because it demonstrated a sense of unity. People coming together. We had an alcoholic walk past our building. This was midweek. This was, he didn't come to a, a service. He came the following Sunday. That Wednesday, he gave his heart to the Lord. As he walked past the building, he just felt this sense, what he later described as the power of God, come over him. And he is still in the church. Today, Tony, who became our chief steward, he got saved in that month of September and became, and he was brilliant as a chief steward. We had him managing our greetings team. Because Tony never forgot, you only had to come to our church once. Because when people join a church, they don't wait till they hear somebody preach. They don't wait to hear how good the, the worship is. In the first nine seconds of somebody walking into church, is a they make a decision whether they're going to join that church or come back again. And the greetings team is key the people that give you the welcome when you come in. And Tony never forgot the names of people. You only had to come once to our church. His recall was phenomenal. I'd be standing there in the foyer of the church before the service with Tony, and people would come in, and I think I've never seen them before, and Tony would say, hello, Malcolm, I'm really glad to see you. I said, how do you know? He said he came uh, last October. I said, that was nine months ago. That's fantastic. So we talked a bit this morning about what your strap line could be. I don't know if you remember what that was. One body working together, building the kingdom of God. Let's all say it together. One body working together, Building the kingdom of God. One body working together, building the kingdom of God. One body working together, building the kingdom of God. And I said this morning that I had real confirmation about this message because being down in Cardigan on, uh, on holiday for a few days this week, we saw, I'm a keen bird watcher, and uh, we saw the swans, normally the geese that fly in a V formation, but the swans came over in a V formation. And when the geese and the swans fly, I'd never seen um, swans do it before. It was absolutely fantastic, the way, that, the way they came over. And they honk for the lead swan or for the lead goose. 
supporting one another. And it's great if you get behind the leadership of the church here, honking your support of those that are seeking to lead the church at that time. I'm moving on now from this morning. So it's what and where do you see this church being in five to ten years' time? And it's about having a dream about building a cathedral in Pontypris. And I'm not talking about building a physical building, necessarily, but the first cathedral to build is a spiritual cathedral. When we are seeking the kingdom of God to come and are battling principalities and powers in the community. When it says in Ephesians 6, we fight not against flesh and blood, but we fight against principalities and powers. The enemy does not want this church to move forward, but God does. Jeremiah 29 and verse 11, God's got plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And it's actually praying that prayer into reality. In our church over the years, we used to have, once a month we used to have what we call prayer, uh, praise and feasting, when we'd all meet together on a Sunday morning, we'd have the service on a Sunday morning, everybody would bring a contribution to a bring and share lunch, and then we used to have an hour or two of just praising God. We used to do that once a month. Then the next month, we would have prayer and fasting, except that nobody brought food. We'd have church Sunday morning, stay on till about four or five o'clock, about tea time, and we just pray. We just wait on God. What, if, uh, what are you saying to us, Lord? There was no agenda. There was no ministry as such. It's what we called a 1 Corinthians meeting. Everybody has. Everybody brings something. What's God saying to us as a group of people? And it's having that desire, it's having that dream to build a spiritual cathedral to be built in this spiritual wasteland. Just when I walk around Pontypris, the reason we moved here is, is our daughter lives here, and that's the reason we moved down here. I see as I walk around low self-image, I see poor self-esteem. I see poverty and homelessness. I see poor health that some people have. I see challenges to the church. Loads of church buildings around here, aren't there? And it's having that desire to see a spiritual cathedral built in this spiritual wasteland. So as I'm walking around, and I walk as much as I can, I walk quite a lot around. I walk around the estate. We live in Hopkins Town now. And uh, I walk our daughter's dog. We look after our grandchildren. So when I'm pushing bow, when I'm taking it to group in the morning at, at Temple, Tigler's group, I'm pushing bow in a pushchair, 
I'll be praying as I'm going on. I bind these principalities and powers. I release your Holy Spirit. I release the light of your gospel into this community. And it's been amazing, the, the spiritual connections with people that I've had. I pray most mornings, I'll pray for direction and divine appointments, and it's been amazing, some of the people, for saying I'm new here, and nobody really knows me or whatever, some of the conversations that I've had with people, and some of the things, and I've said, and I've had people say to me, why did you ask me that? Why did you say that? I said, I've got absolutely no idea. And they, they, they tell me a story then about what that means to them, where they are in their lives. I said, it's amazing. <clears throat> We've had about four people so far that have actually started attending temple on a, a regular basis. Um, and there's a group that started now before, um, one of the groups will be meeting in the morning before Tiglers, they meet at nine o'clock now, the mum, and they come to study the Bible before they, we have the Tigler group which starts at half past ten. I'm not, <coughs> my wife's involved with that. Um, I'm not, I, I attend the, the group but I don't go to the, uh, to the Bible study group. <clears throat> But a church built as a prophetic community sees the promised land. It will never settle for second best, but will repurpose and build a church with a revitalized spirit. I don't know if you feel spiritually tired sometimes or spiritually lethargic, but, you know, we need to be revitalised, don't we? I need to be revitalised. I don't know if you know or are familiar with, with Suzette Hatting. not sure if I've mentioned this here before or not. Suzette Hatting used to head up, many of you will know Reinhardt Bonker. Suzette used to head up all of Reinhardt's um, prayer ministry. Um, she's a phenomenal woman, Suzette. <clears throat> and I was very friendly, when we were living in Milton Keynes, I was very friendly with Alan Vincent. Some of you know he's got a real prophetic ministry. Worked with Terry Virgo in what was Coastlands in those days, then became New Frontiers. Alan lives in San Antonio now in, in America. But uh, we went to the first seminars that uh, Alan invited Suzette to come. The first time she came to the UK, this was about, I don't know, 30, 40 years ago. Now, it'll be in the 80s, I think this would be. And Suzette said something I've never forgotten and I've sought to practice most days of my life. Which Suzette said, she said, when you go to bed at night, <clears throat> she said, your spirit doesn't need to sleep. She said, your body needs to rest, your mind needs to rest. But she said, if you commit your spirit to worship God during the night, and when you wake up in the morning, you will be thinking positive thoughts about God, positive thoughts about the kingdom. I, I challenge you to try it, because I can tell you it works. That when you put your head on the pillow tonight, and you might say, well, I don't sleep very well. I'm one of those people that sleeps amazingly well. 
But whether you sleep or don't sleep, just commit, Lord, I'm committing my spirit to you. I'm committing my spirit to worship you in the night watches. And you will, it will change your mind. The Bible talks a lot, doesn't it, about having a change of mind. But that brings a freshness in the Holy Spirit. Gorbachev, when he was president of Russia, asked that challenging question many years ago. When was the last time that you did something for the first time? As we get older, we have a tendency, as I said earlier, to settle. We like sitting down and we, we, we don't like doing things new often. It's great to do something new for the first time. This week, this coming week, do something new for the first time. Commit your spirit to worship God. When you have your quiet time in the morning, say to God, Lord, I'm praying for divine direction. I'm praying for divine connection. We said this morning, Moses was like Walt Disney. He saw the promised land. Joshua was like Walt Disney. He saw the promised land. When Disneyland was opened in America, Walt Disney's creation, he died. The creative director said, when Disneyland was opened in Florida, somebody said, isn't it a shame Walt Disney isn't here to see this? And the creative director of Disney said, he did see it. That's why it's here today. A spiritual cathedral will change something in the natural. Building a spiritual cathedral will build a natural cathedral as well and change things. So Moses and Joshua learned a lot of lessons. They learned the lesson to hold on. And things may not always go how you want them to. But it's actually holding on. Because the command to them, that's why you get the command in Joshua 1 to be strong and courageous in verse 6, in verse 7, in verse 9, in verse 18. They were told to be strong because they weren't very strong at times. They were told to be courageous because they weren't very courageous at times, the lesson to hold on. The lesson that it's team, and we'll come on to that a bit further in a moment, because we each have an individual responsibility. I love the corporate anointing of God. There's a real sense of God's presence here. There was this morning. As the folk were leading worship and that this morning and tonight, there's a real sense of coming into, I don't know if you felt that, I felt that, a real sense of coming into, of stepping into God's presence. And you say, well, Alan, I didn't feel anything. It's all right. It's all right not to feel anything. But I distinctly felt that. But Joshua 1 and verse 2 says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then you... And I said this morning, and it's you, Martin, and it's you, and it's you, and it's you, Alona, and it's you, Julie, and it's you, Gemma, and it's you, and it's you, Alan, and it's you, Margaret, and it's you. 
Any shoes, John? Eyes make up we's and we's make up us's. There is incredible power in togetherness. We don't want a church of independence. We want a church that is in mutual submission to one another, that is all pulling in the same direction and walking forward in the purposes of God. And that's all about choice. It's making a choice. It's making a decision to support the leadership even when you don't agree with the leadership. It's all about choice. It's not about personal agendas. It's not about massaging personal egos. There is so much ego massage in the church in the Western world today. But it's about coming together and serving God together because the promise is bigger than personalities and individuals. The promise is bigger than hidden personal agendas and personal egos. We're not in it for I. We're in it for we's. Because I's make up we's and we's make up us's. And when we get to that point, the us's, I feel equals unity. When there's a sense of unity. And Psalm 133, when the brethren dwell together in unity, there God commands the blessing, even life forevermore. So September 2003, when our two churches came together in the West Midlands and we saw more people get saved. There was just a sense of unity. There was a sense of togetherness. There was a sense that we're in this together. We learn the lesson that we're on a journey. We each individually take the journey. Moses and Joshua, they had to break out of their own Egypt. We have to travel through our own wilderness experiences. And somebody prayed, mentioned that in prayer this evening. Because it's only as we individually take the journey that we together inherit the promised land. Joshua 1 and verse 11, Go through the camp and tell the people, Get your provisions ready. Three days from now you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. And it's checking ourselves to make sure that our behaviour matches our beliefs. We just touched this morning on discipleship, because Laura had mentioned that in, in the little bit piece that she did this morning, which was part of the message that I was going to bring this morning that the church we built in the West Midlands, we had 22 values. And the first one was, I felt God talked to me about this, um, Christmas day, Christmas morning, when I was preparing to go to church to, to lead the Christmas morning service. It came at the most unusual time and developed into what became what we framed as building dream church. And they weren't necessarily written in any order, but number one that came is we don't want a church of casual attenders. We don't want a church of believers, because Satan believes. We want a church of disciples. Matthew 28, go into all the world and make disciples. And sometimes the journey can be slow, steady, tedious, frustrating, continuous, 
a step at a time, little by little. The journey is a marathon and not a sprint. And we have to stick around long enough, whoever's leading it, to not only headline the changes, but to work the changes through. In my personal experience, that's been about 10 years. We've always gone somewhere with a view to staying there and never moving. And it's only looking back over our ministry that it's tended to come in 10-year periods. The last one, uh, what became Flame Community Church in the West Midlands, was, was 13 years, 1998 until 2011. We learn the lesson of little by little. Exodus 23 and verse 30. Little by little I will drive them out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. In my ministry experience, we've never had any, what I will call, phenomenal breakthrough. It's always been steady and consistent, line upon line, precept upon precept. I mentioned before that the church that we planted into Newport Pagnell, 1978, with just us, uh, me and Ruth and, and our two children at the time, and two other people, Chris and Sue Shaw, has now become a church of a thousand committed adults, hundred thousand pound a month income, homeless centre, five million pound building, ministries across the world. What starts with small seeds? What God can do? And the breakthrough may not be dynamic, may not be visual, may not be loud, may not be noisy, may not be brash, may not be spectacular, but slow, steady, consistent. <coughs> and stable. But I've always said to God, Lord, if you want to do it in a loud way, you want to do it in a quick way, you want to do it in a sudden way, I won't complain. Because there's great Bible studies, isn't there, about suddenlies in the Bible. And suddenly... But when you look at the Bible and when you look at church history, you soon discover that the suddenlies have been preceded by years of prayer and years of dedication and years of people giving their lives that don't become the headline people at the end of the day. Moses and Joshua learned the lesson of God's timetable. Joshua was able to keep what God said in perspective. Now, I'm not sure what you're like on perspective or allowing things to get out of proportion. When we get older, our world becomes smaller, so the little things that didn't bother us at one time, suddenly they, they become big fish in this smaller pond. And it's very easy to get things out of perspective. I'm not always very good at timing. I often know where God wants to take us and wants to take the church. But when I worked with Paul Woodward at Milton Keynes, he was brilliant. Because Paul said, what you're saying, this is at leadership level, Paul, Paul used to say, what you're saying, Alan, is absolutely right. 
but he said the timing's not right. We need to do that, but we need to do it a bit later on. And I've always worked well, because I'm a great believer in working in team, at listening to what people say to me. In, in the West Midlands Church there, Dave Willits, me and Dave worked together brilliantly. And uh, we had a leadership team of nine there that me and Dave sort of headed it up. And uh, <clears throat> Dave would say, you're absolutely right, Alan, where are you going? But we need to do that next year and not now. I'm not sure what you like on timing. I think that's where accountability and, and working with other people is good. Joshua had the faith to wait. He didn't get too disappointed. More people leave the ministry out of disappointment than they do out of adultery. More people leave the ministry out of disappointment than they do through financial challenges. And if we keep things in perspective, hope will remain firm and faith will arise. And at times of doubt, we need to keep our eyes on the Lord, not on the watch, not on the calendar, and certainly not on other people. We're moving on, because time's moving on. In God's timetable, he always finishes what he starts. And if it's not finished, we need to ask the question, did God start it? Philippians 1 and verse 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. The work that God is doing in you and you and you and you and you and you and you, he will bring it to completion. Moses and Joshua learned the lesson of breaking free from the past. Someone once said, it's difficult to embrace the future when your wrists are chained to the past. That's the thing about the giants again and the chains again coming out. If you do a, a character study on Moses, and uh, on Moses and Joshua, you learn, for example, with Joshua, he lived for 40 years in bondage in Egypt Joshua had known the hardship, the frustration, the cruelty, the intolerance of the Egyptian taskmasters. For another 40 years, he'd been wandering in the desert and the wilderness. If ever you wanted somebody that could be chained to the giants of the past, it was Joshua. So easy for him to make excuses. So easy for him to stop expecting for the future. So easy for him to say, I can't lead these people into the promised land. But the thing Joshua did, he chose to, broke, uh, to break free of past disappointments, past hurts, past bitterness, past sourness, past bad experiences. There's so many people I've dealt with in church in 40 years of pastoral work. If you knew, Alan, what had happened to me 39 years Six months and 22 days away, you wouldn't talk to me like that. They used to say to our church, I can't influence the past. The past is set in concrete. I've come here to influence the future, to change the future. 
When we went to Blackheath, Fred Taylor was a lovely man. He was in his 80s. He was a member of the, the AOG church. And I went to see, Fred said, can you come and have a chat to me? So I went to see Alan, had a cup of, uh, went to see Fred, had a cup of tea with him and so on. So he said to me, Alan, he said, I need to tell you all about the history of the church. I said, how long is this going to take, Fred? <laughs> he was a lovely man. He'd, he'd actually been a, in the, in the, a pastor himself. And uh, I said, I appreciate what you're saying, Fred. He said, but I can't... I said, the history of the church isn't going to change what's going to happen in the future. I said, because this is a new day. This is a new day. I'm believing for a new day. God has sent me here with a new vision, with a prophetic vision of what's going to happen here. And I said, I'm quite happy to talk about it for a bit, Fred. But I said, that's setting concrete. We're going to change the future. He said, you're straightforward, aren't you? I said, well, I said, I'm not going to be sitting here listening to, to something I can't do anything about. I want to be changing something for the future. So the conversation moved on, and me and Fred always used to get on really great, and he died and so on, and I conducted, had the privilege of conducting his funeral. Moses and Joshua learned the lesson of overcoming the weakness of the flesh. Did you know the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak? The Spirit's willing for you to come to church on a Sunday, to throw those covers off on a Sunday morning and spring up to the church service at half past ten on a Sunday morning for the temptation of the flesh to stay in bed. Actually, if you've got a telly in bed and you can just operate the, the control. The Spirit's willing I used to tell members of our church, tell your spirit to get here. I said, disembodied spirits don't put any money in the offering, but you can. <laughs> the flesh wants us to stay in bed. It wants us to watch the soaps. When I was young, the soaps were something my mum used to put in when she used to wash the clothes. I'm not a great, well, I don't, I don't watch the soaps anyway. But um, God told Joshua to be strong because Joshua felt weak. He told Joshua not to be afraid because Joshua felt afraid. Told God, uh, God told Joshua not to be discouraged because Joshua felt discouraged. It's okay to be honest. Just be honest. Just be straightforward. I've proven over there, I found the ministry has moulded me into different things because I went through a period when I didn't want to upset anybody. Well, you can't please anybody. You can't please all the people all the time anyway, so I learned that. So I just became what... I'd all, I come from Nottingham, so you just straightforward. My dad was a miner, so you just say it as it is. And it's okay not to be honest. It's okay not to be on top of the mountain all the time. All of us have mountaintop experiences. Sometimes we're on top of the mountain, sometimes the mountain's on top of us. But the mountain's there somewhere all the time. I don't spend time with 
negative people. Because I don't find it helpful. I want to spend time with positive people that are in to build something up for the kingdom. Drawing to a close. Time's gone. The lesson that team is key, Joshua 1 verse 14, you are to help your brothers. I love that verse. We We need others around us to maintain vision. The merging of different complementary gifts and personalities brings strength and variety. Imagine if I was preaching to you every day, every Sunday. You'd soon get fed up of that, wouldn't you? I mean, you get... (laughs) In team, there's still sadness, disappointments and conflicts. But because they are shared in team, we have endurance of vision. And endurance in church leadership is so crucial to see his kingdom come. Working in team provides a safety net under each other. It provides an accountability structure for each other. I've always been keen on accountability, being accountable to others. And uh, one of those people over the years, Dave Shearman from Nottingham, who Dave married us um, 47 years ago now. And Dave's one of those people, he's straightforward. He, He tells me what I need to know, not what I want to hear. Think about that. Have you got people in your life that tell you what you need to know, not what you want to hear? I've got people that I call my sugar lump people as well. They pat me on the head and give me a lump of sugar and tell me how wonderful I am. That's important as well. Get it in balance. And working in team means we pray, learn and struggle and sometimes to be victorious together. And the final thought on this with, with, um, um, with Moses and Joshua... In church and in church leadership, there is never any progress without conflict. Over the years, I've never had a problem what I call eyeballing people. It was my set phrase. I didn't used to do it publicly. I just say to somebody, I need to have a word with you. I used to say it to, to our kids when they, when they were small. When they got summoned into my office, they knew they were in trouble. They still, they still talk about it now. Whenever we came into your study, we knew we were in big trouble. When one or two members of the church or whatever over the years, uh, I said, I think you and I need to have a conversation. They knew they were in trouble. Conflict is a part of leadership. Conflict is a part of leading a church. It's no easy ride. It's impossible to move forward without conflict. When our two churches merged, in um, 2003, the two leaderships came together and there were two guys, Stuart and Ray, that were members of the 
the Elim side of its leadership team. Great guys. And I just said to them, I said to the leadership and said to them, I said, when we come together, I said, you two guys will have to stand down because they, they didn't have a leadership gift, in my opinion. They totally agreed with me. Their wives totally agreed with me. And their spirit was phenomenal. We had about 50 musicians in the church, so we used to have three, we developed three worship teams. So Ray, who'd been on the leadership, he, he was one of the, the worship leaders as well. They each used to do two weeks at a time. So one of the groups, Peter Brooks's group, were brilliant at family services and that. So Pete's group would always do family services. <clears throat> Those two guys, we stood down, we thanked them in front of the church and so on and so forth. And they still came, they never ran away. They never threw their toys out the pram. They served the church. They, uh, Ray and Stuart are still there now. What a fantastic spirit. I've, I've talked about them quite a lot because they are two of the best people that I've ever had to deal with like that. Because hopefully it was done in the right way with, um, if you're familiar with Matthew 18 that we don't have time to go into tonight on resolving conflict in church. But it's, it's dealing with those things. There will always be battles to fight, skirmishes to engage in, ambushes along the way. Joshua proved that many times if you read his story. We're concluding, we're going to come round communion in a moment, we're going to worship the Lord as well. Hebrews 11.27, by faith... Moses persevered because he saw him who is invisible. When you leave this church tonight, I want you to think about that. If you forget everything else I've said, just think about that, that thought there. Are you seeing him who is invisible? Having your eye on the one no one can see, and, kept, and keeping right on going. And the final thought that only came to me a couple of days ago, which just rounds this off, is Nehemiah 4 and verse 6. I was just reading Nehemiah. I preached a well, series on Nehemiah over the years. When Ruth's dad used to come to one of our churches, he was very impressed that everybody's Bible owned at Nehemiah. He said, they're nowhere near me. He said, that's great. So Ruth said to him, Dad, he said, he's been preaching on it for the last 11 months. <laughs> he, said, he said, they know where Nehemiah is by now. But there's a great verse I was reading again the other day, Nehemiah 4, verse 6 in the NIV. So we re rebuilt the wall. So we rebuilt the wall. When you look at the story in Nehemiah, he used the same damaged stones to put up a wall to the glory of God. And rebuilding, revitalizing, re-energizing, repurposing in church comes from the rubble. And you and I, all of us in this room tonight, we're all broken people. 
We've all been broken people. And God is absolutely brilliant at rebuilding local church with broken people. So don't leave tonight feeling discouraged. I hope you leave today, having been in the presence of God, feeling encouraged.